Hey everyone, welcome back to our Start Paranormal Podcasts. Today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Kieran O'Keefe, most famous for his appearance on the show Most Haunted. So join us as we discuss and debate all things paranormal. Kieran, thank you so much for joining the Start Paranormal Podcasts. Um, how are you today? I'm all right. Yes. How are you? Thank you for having me on. A pleasure. I'm I'm good, thank you. Um, the first thing our viewers would like to know is if you could possibly tell us how did your career start and how it came into the paranormal world? Well, I've always been fascinated by ghost stories, even at a young age. Um, I was reading Stephen King, James Herbert, um, but also Clive Barker, some of the contemporary novelists, but also some of the older novelists, people like M.R. James and H.P. Lovecraft. And that, when I say as a boy, I mean as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, wow. to the extent <laughs> where my parents were genuinely concerned about my reading material. So I've always been fascinated by ghosts from early on. And then around that time, as I kind of came into my teenage years, Arthur C. Clarke was doing his um, Mysterious World series on television. Yeah. And there was a huge, there was a, a big magazine that came out at the time, the Unexplained magazine that came out on a, a monthly basis. And I was collecting that as well. So all of that kind of provoked this huge interest in it. But actually, when I was 13, the film Ghostbusters came out. And it was really that that cemented my interest in ghosts, but also parapsychology. Even though that was a work of fiction, I ended up calling Columbia University that's featured in the movie and asking them about their parapsychology work. And luckily, I caught the person um, on the other end of the phone on a good day. And she redirected me to the Institute of Parapsychology in North Carolina, which is where parapsychology started um, almost a year about 100 years ago and I think that really kind of gave me the impetus and the motivation to get involved in this particular area so um, even as a young teenager I thought that's what I'd love to do I'd love to be a ghostbuster Um, and then as I moved through kind of further education I did A-levels I was looking at the possibility of music as well and sound recording kind of various options but I always had in my mind the idea of doing parapsychology and when I went to university I studied music and psychology did uh, effectively two degrees a a joint degree but the psychology part I ended up doing my final year thesis down at the Institute of Parapsychology in North Carolina. So I went to university in the States. I was just outside of Washington, D.C. But for my last year there, almost every weekend, I was down at the Institute of Parapsychology. And it was lucky that I was part of a psychology department where the staff said, look, we don't know much about this particular area, but if you can find yourself a supervisor, who's an expert in parapsychology, we can supervise you from our perspective, but at least they'll have the subject knowledge. And so I was down at the Institute of Parapsychology, supervised by one of the parapsychologists there. And the rest is history because I did that degree, did that thesis. I then ended up doing a master's in investigative psychology, which is a sub-discipline of forensic psychology, but I specialized in psychic detectives, kind of studied, studied those. And then I ended up doing a PhD 
focused on um, mediums and psychics and that sort of thing. Throughout all of this, though, my expertise and my love has been ghosts, you know, and that's what I do now. You know, I'm a parapsychologist, but also I'm a ghostbuster at heart. Yeah, wow, that's an amazing story. Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, you've been teaching, have you been like um, giving lectures about parapsychology for quite a few years now, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess my first... My first lectures on parapsychology were back when I was doing my undergraduate degree because I was doing it in a university where people hadn't really heard about it or they thought it was just, you know, all, all a joke. A lot of rubbish, so, yeah. yeah, so I just I gave a couple of lectures on parapsychology within the university and within the psychology department. And so that is over 30 years ago. You know, so that's when I started. I've been now part of a university for about 10 years that, you know, um, loves this stuff. I have a module that I run that's related to parapsychology. But even before that, I was part of a university up in Liverpool and doing the same sort of thing. So I guess regularly I've been giving lectures at university as part of my employment for about 20 years, 20 plus years. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I think most of our viewers would have probably heard of you first is when you first appeared on Most Haunted. Um, yeah. I, was, I was wondering if you could tell me how that came about and how you found your time on the show and, and a little bit about that. Sure. Well, that's a really good question because I was employed at Liverpool Hope University um, from about 2004, right. 2003, 2004. And I was employed there and I was doing psychology, but also it was a university that was open to parapsychology. There was another parapsychologist there, as well as several others, called uh, Matthew Smith, Dr. Matthew Smith. And he was part of Most Haunted before me, way before me. He would be wheeled on at the end of the uh, of the show in an editing suite and he would just be shown the footage and he would have to comment on it. Sure. Now, all of that happened, That's that filming happened in Manchester. And he said to me that he wouldn't necessarily be able to do all of those gigs, all of those sequences, right. um, all of that filming. And I was living in the centre of Manchester at the time, and he said, you know, if there's any way you could sub in for me occasionally, Carl and Yvette said it was okay. So for about six months or so, you will find that there's somewhere Matthew does it and somewhere I do it. And and that's how it happened. I was effectively kind of a, a reserve for him. But right. Carl and Yvette were trying to get one of us to come out and do a ghost hunt. Now, it was Matthew's gig. And so he had first, you know, first go at it, that's first refusal. Yeah, exactly. And so he ended up doing a, an, an investigation with them as part of Most Haunted, which was an investigation in Liverpool at the time and he basically said no it's it's not for me that wasn't his area of expertise within parapsychology you know it wasn't kind of ghost hunting wasn't necessarily his thing whereas i had been a ghost hunter and fascinated with ghosts like i said for decades since i was a boy and a teenager so matthew had his go and then i had my go the first one that i actually was part of was the black swan in devices in wiltshire that was a beautiful venue yeah, brilliant venue. And I actually jumped at the chance anyway because Yuri Geller was a guest and I knew oh, wow. Yuri Geller because of the history of parapsychology. So it was lovely to be able to meet him. 
Um, but that was the first one that I went on and I genuinely loved it because it was ghost hunting and it's what I did anyway, ghost hunting, and then put on my parapsychology hat and analyze and comment on the footage and the evidence that people have caught. So that that's the one I did, but I didn't officially join the team until about four or five episodes or investigations after that. So we ended up doing... Um, a couple in Holland and then a couple in Ireland. So Castle Leslie, for example, was one of the yeah. places we did, which is a fabulous location. And it was only when we came back to the UK, we did a live in Derby and Carl and Yvette and myself had been talking about it. Um, and we had decided, you know, yeah, this was, this was okay. I was actually quite happy to join the team and, and be part of the Most Haunted team. Um, and so I joined then, which was, a, yeah, it felt like I'd been with Most Haunted since about 2003, 2004, and then kind of officially joined them about six months in. And I loved my experience on Most Haunted. It was absolutely amazing. It really was. Um, I saw some amazing locations, you know, got to travel around the States, various parts of Europe, as well northern italy we did some locations um all around the states including um um uh, penn uh, pennsylvania and uh, the wow. prison there in west virginia and um out to california and winchester mystery house in san jose and then all over the british isles so that was that that was one big part of it which was amazing the other big part of it was that i was as an expert in this area able to witness and observe people having experiences in a haunted environment because regardless of what people think about most haunted and they think about the evidence and the phenomena that's being presented you've still got to remember here is a group of people in a haunted environment no matter what's going on sure. they're in a haunted environment so you know some of the more sen some of the more sensational bits would have been shown in some of the episodes you know things um moving apparently of their own accord or people being attacked and kind of that more extreme stuff as the show went on but actually you were getting a lot more low level reactions from people that you never saw on the episodes because it wasn't necessarily as interesting but i found it more fascinating things like people saying i i just don't like it in this room yeah. And that's it. It wouldn't go any further or somebody being a little bit overcome or a little bit tired or have an emotional response or feel a draft. Little things that I found equally fascinating. So, yeah, I I enjoyed my time. I stopped working on Most Haunted in 2010. So I did it for about six, seven years um, when uh, Most Haunted actually finished. The, the final live was in Prague, 2010. Um, and I have no regrets about it at all. People are, you know, will know that I've been very vocal about my interpretation of the evidence, and I think there's pretty much a natural explanation for most of it. Sure. Um, you know, and if I was running an investigation, it wouldn't be run in the same way, but it wasn't my investigation. You know, Carl and Yvette were doing their thing, and I'm incredibly grateful to them because it's afforded me lots of opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. You know, I was always a parapsychologist and always a ghost hunter even before. I've just gone back to doing that. But now people know me from Most Haunted and it's, you know, it's it's open doorways to, well, talking to you even, you know. Sure, um, yeah, exactly. I, 
otherwise I would just be a parapsychologist in a university and people probably would not have heard of me at all. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful. I, mean, I think it's safe to say that you would, you were considered the voice of reason on the show. And, but I would like to say is, have you ever had any experiences, not even necessarily on, on most haunted, just in general, that even though you're a voice of reason, you've got no explanation to what you've witnessed and you just can't put your finger on it. Yes, it's not, it's very nice and very diplomatic of you to say that I was the voice of reason. <laughs> People had other words for me, including <laughs> party pooper and phrases that were a lot more um, colourful than that. Um, so, yes, generally that was my role. It was to offer alternative explanations. Um, did I have any experiences on Most Haunted? Um, there were only really a handful of experiences, but even those experiences, most of those I could explain. So what sure. I mean okay. is if, if somebody else had those experiences in a, in a location, they could interpret them as paranormal. For me, having those experiences, they'd be the same experiences, but I would interpret them as, as natural. And I'll give you a classic example. SS Great Britain, which is an old ship that's yep. moored in Bristol. I went into the lower class accommodation area of that particular ship and I felt spooked. And I wish there was a better word for it, but that's a lovely adjective. And people get it. If you've had that experience where you just feel spooked, you feel like something's not right and you walk into an area. And I had that walking into that area. Now, that could be because of the presence of spirit. But when you start to look at the natural explanations, that's where it gets interesting. Because a simple psychologist would say, well, actually, you felt spooked because it was a haunted place. You know, and there's a yeah. Yeah, suggestion sure. element. And my immediate counter to that will be, what are you talking about? You know, this is after 20, 20 plus years investigating locations and doing hundreds of locations with Most Haunted. Why that particular location? Why, why didn't I get spooked at places that were horrific, that were just horrible places? I, I got spooked at a lovely ship. You know, it's, it's there's no reason why I should have been spooked at that particular place because of suggestion, because of the psychology of it. However, it could have been infrasound, so low frequency sound, because there are ships, huge ships that go through that part of the waterways in, in Bristol. And any of those engines could have, you know, been generating infrasound and I could have felt spooked because of that. The, the, the issue, the issue is it's gone. The moment's gone. So I'll never really know the answer, but actually that's part of what I find fascinating about haunting experiences. You know, it's the frustration that sometimes you have an amazing experience and you don't necessarily know the answer. But that is also a huge positive for me because it means then that you can have lovely debates with people about, well, was that actually something paranormal? Was I picking up on something there? Or was it something natural, environmental or psychological? Yes, definitely. I mean, I, I've, I've certainly had experiences where I can agree with you that I've been in some very uh, haunted locations that have had some like quite nasty history and nothing's happened. I felt quite comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but I've been in some venues that, you know, supposedly it's meant to be really happy and happy spirits and everything like that. And I felt the word you used, the spooked, and I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um. But I'd like to touch on a, a subject where a lot of people find it a bit taboo, but I'd like to know your opinion on, I know you've had a lot of experience in it, in the, the mediumship side. Oh, yes. In, so I would just like to know your opinion as 
on psychic mediums and mediumship as a whole and if you think it does the the paranormal a credit or a discredit it's a it's a very good question and i think there's a lot of questions that are bound up in that yeah and the reason why is because what you've got to remember is even though my expertise is haunting experiences my doctorate, which I was doing for about four years or so, and my work in investigative psychology, was looking at what we call special claimants, which are those individuals who claim to have some sort of ability, psychic ability or mediumship ability, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, there's two ways of looking at this. So I look at it as very skeptically because I know about pseudo skeptic, uh, pseudo psychics. I know about alternative explanations for readings. Yeah. When you're sitting down with a psychic or medium and there are possible alternative explanations such as, you know, what we call a hot reading. They may have find out, found out information about you in advance. Yes, exactly. Versus a cold reading, which is where they are using particular techniques, sometimes persuasive techniques. And your reactions um, to base on... Exactly. Yes. It's I, using I've, a lot I've of... I've studied it a lot as well. And that's why I think it's quite an interesting question, because I've met a lot of people that claim to be genuine. And again, I'm not discrediting anybody when I'm saying yeah. this, but I've studied cold reading so in depth that I've... I, I'm, no way in any sense or form in my medium, but I, I've been able to give someone a reading because I know the techniques, which I'm sure yeah. coming from your side of the view, you will appreciate as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I always, people ask me, what are my general thoughts about it? And I'll come on to haunting experiences and investigations in a second and some other stuff on TV. But I'm always, I always remember the quote from a movie called Red Lights, which is starring Robert De Niro and Sigourney Weaver um, about psychics and about parapsychology testing um, of psychics and mediums and even healers as well. Um, and I kind of involved in that and involved in reviewing it as well. So I, I know it very well. But at some point, Sigourney Weaver, who plays kind of the skeptic and the kind of scientist, she says, you know, there are two kinds of people out there with a special gift. The ones who really think they have some kind of power and the other guys who think we can't figure them out and they're both wrong. That's a brilliant quote. Yeah. Now, I, I, I almost 99% agree with her because I think in, in the main you can very easily work out what's going on with psychics and mediums, especially like you say, if you have that knowledge about cold reading, but also you're kind of, you know, you're just being observant and being critical and watching what's going on. I think the tough thing is that other that other group, the ones that really think they have some kind of power, the implication in what she says is that they are um, fraudulent, you know, and, and actually that's not the case. The majority of psychics and mediums that I've met and I work with genuinely believe they have some kind of power, but actually they're not out. They're not they're not doing it for material or financial gain they're doing it because they genuinely believe they have some kind of power the issue comes from me as a scientist testing them in the laboratory even testing them face to face and not seeing the evidence that they have some kind of power and therein lies the issue because then when you transpose individuals like that into a ghost investigation are they benefiting the investigation or not 
it would be arrogant of me to say that there is one way to conduct an investigation, you know, my way. That would be sure. totally arrogant because there are so many different ways to conduct a ghost investigation. Some people prefer to use mediums, you know, and medium will point to a corner and say, you know, I see kind of a little girl there, a ghostly girl there. She's telling me her name and she used to live here, blah, blah, blah. The issue that I've got with that is twofold. Number one, that then becomes the focus of the investigation. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's wrong because mediumship is not, even if it was true in terms of communicating with spirit, we know it's not 100% reliable. We know that. Even the most adept mediums will say that sometimes they get it wrong. And so, therefore, if you're using that testimony to then steer the investigation, I think that's wrong. However, why can't you use a medium on an investigation the same way that you can any investigator? And that is, mediums are having experiences the same way any of us are having experiences. So simply log the experience. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to change the course of the investigation on the basis of what the medium says. You know, it's perfectly valid to say that medium is an investigator the same as us. Let's use their testimony as part of the investigation evidence, because for all we know, that medium may have picked up on something or may have picked up on, you know, a particular environmental cue. They may have been affected by the genuine paranormal nature of a particular room. And then you and then inadvertently their imagination has created this picture of a girl in the corner. But actually, they have had a valid experience, which is they picked up on something, you know. So that's where I'm coming from in terms yeah. of the use of mediums um, within an investigation. It wouldn't be the sort of thing I would do as an investigator or somebody in charge of an investigation. However, if people want to do it, absolutely fine. Just don't let it dominate the investigation. That's my, that's my thoughts anyway. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to agree with you there. I mean, whenever we um, do investigations, my only worry is, I mean, we personally don't use mediums. For the reason that you've just said is it's the danger that they become the sole attraction of the the investigation. Yeah. And um, I think there's just so much more in depth that we can do. But, I mean, you've worked with the late Derek Acora. How did you find your time with him? Derek and I did did get on famously. We obviously saw things very differently. Sure. Um, we had very different perspectives, very different belief, um, very different interpretations of the phenomena that happened, and very different interpretations of the information that he came out with. You know, and uh, but we were very um, honest about that, and yeah, we did get a get on famously apart from not seeing eye to eye on the phenomena but again you're dealing with a very different scenario so my earlier answer was talking about the use of mediums in investigations yeah. now you're talking about a medium in their role within a televised investigation yeah, and for me that oh, it takes on a hugely hugely different dynamic and the reason why is because and I'll say this in, in all honesty, because mediums and the information that mediums give in a haunting investigation when it's on television can actually be quite enthralling. You know, yeah. it, it can be engaging. It can help. It can help the narrative 
of an investigation. So I completely understand when producers want to use mediums or sensitives or empaths on a televised investigation. I think it's a completely different consideration. But also, to be fair to Derek, he was part of a television show where, you know, there was there was a kind of pressure for him to produce and to get readings and to get, you know, images and to get communication all the time. Yeah. You know, and that is not something I would want to do, you know, so all credit to him for sticking with it for as long as uh, as long as he did, because he did an amazing job to have to do that every single episode, every single investigation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know he's got a very big following and, and rightly so. A lot of people loved the way he did his mediumship and again, had a very fond, fond following. Um, but when you when you worked with him, did did you feel? Because I'm assuming you've worked with quite a few and met quite a few mediums. That he was a genuine medium. Now, when I'm saying, I want to be very careful how I'm saying this because when he's on TV, I, you know, like you said, there's got to be a pressure from the producers to, you know, produce a a, a reading on TV. I would say, I would say, I know where you're going with it, and I would say it's not it's not even so much. So it's not even so much pressures from the producer. It's just pressure. If somebody, if somebody puts a camera in front of your face, especially on a live show when at its peak, Most Haunted was attracting 1 and 1.5 million viewers, and there's a camera in front of your face, and, say, and the question is, and how do you feel? That's yeah, huge time. pressure. Oh, answer, yeah. my God. You yeah. know, it, this is why people used to find sometimes my role quite funny, because on a live show... You know, at the top of the show, they would go around the group. You know, Yvette would say, here I am, and here I am at this location. I, you know, I'm not, not happy about this, but, you know, getting ready to get started. Let's go around the, around the group. Carl, how do you feel? You know, Stuart, how do you feel? Kath, how do you feel? You know, Derek, how do you feel? And the camera would go round to each of you asking how you did it. Now, of course, when it came round to me, I said, oh, I'm fine. You know, but but it's a particular sort of person that will say that. Yes. There's a pressure when there's a camera in front of you. So that's, that's what I mean by the pressure that Derek was under. Related to that, which is where your question was going, was my my perception, my thoughts about him as a medium. I, I didn't see anything on the show at all that, that uh, convinced me that he was a genuine medium. Absolutely. No, I, ne I never saw that in terms of evidence. But then it was a TV show. What was interesting about Derek's history was that I was employed up at Liverpool when I was doing my investigati investigative psychology masters. And that was a time years before Most Haunted when Derek was working as a medium that he would have clients. He would have people visiting him and book time with him in an office in Liverpool, I even contacted him to be part of my study. This is years before Most Haunted. Wow. And actually, when you speak to people who had some of those private readings and, you know, had readings from him or had readings from him when he was on stage, they'll say, you know, he gave me this information. And it was amazing. It was so accurate, 100% accurate. There's no way he could have known that before. Or he gave me information that I only found out afterwards was true. You know, and so people give you these anecdotal accounts. And whilst there are issues with anecdotal accounts, I can't take anything away from those experiences those people had. All I can comment on is the first-hand experience that I had watching the mediumship 
that was performed as part of the most haunted show. And like I said, I, I was skeptical the whole time. The way, same way I was skeptical about any medium that was on the show. But actually, before then, that's what I mean. There's an there's an argument there that I hear from people who say, outside of the show, he was giving me a great reading, you know, and and yeah. you know he was a genuine medium. There's others that say they went to see him on stage, and that wasn't the case. But you still do get people who say, no, he was incredibly accurate. Yes, I mean, we'll we'll leave that one there because it's such a sensitive subject. But I, I just wanted to know your opinion, and thank you for giving me that. Sorry, um, I would like to. Uh, I won't keep you for much longer, but I would like to know when you're on an investigation, regards to equip equipment that investigators use. How do you? What would you say is an, a reliable piece of equipment, or would you just say it's all very? He said, she said, it's you're you're not quite sure if it's actually what it says on the tin and things like that. That's a really good question, especially when you use the phrase, what is the most, you know, what is the most reliable piece of equipment? Because actually, when people ask me, what should they take along to a ghost hunt? You know, it's their first time. What what sort of advice would I give them? I just say yourself. Yes, that's what we say as well. (laughs) But the interesting thing is that's that it's it's probably the best piece of equipment as detectors we are amazing and ultimately any locations that we visit as investigators they have become haunted locations because people have had experiences in those locations yes you know you know it's not because a k2 went off that we all run down to that location and start investigating it's because people have had experiences and you know lots and lots of people have had experiences so yes human detectors were brilliant and so i'd recommend taking yourself but also some way of recording um recording your experiences so a dictaphone or your phone on voice recorder, even a paper and pen or a camera. You know, people use all of those devices to try and capture evidence, but I think they're also useful devices for capturing your own experiences to record them. So that's that side of things. And that's me being a little bit of a soapbox there because it's kind of that recognized you don't actually have to have gadgets. But remember, I am a Ghostbuster at heart. I'd love a real proton pack. Um, so I I do get excited about gadgets. And so that side of things, I think the most useful piece of kit is actually something that records the temperature. Yeah, you know, and the reason, the reason why is because temperature as a consistent feature of people's ghostly experiences has been around as long as ghost stories have been around. You go to the ancient Greeks who, who told actual ghost stories and there were examples of ghost investigations or encounters with ghosts and people report a drop in temperature. And it's the most, fa- for me, it's one of the most fascinating parts of ghostly and haunting experiences because, of course, there could be uh, a psychological explanation for it. People could think that the temperature has gone down because of the adrenaline and the fear that they are experiencing and therefore, because of that fight or flight response, that can have an effect on where the blood flows and that can have an effect on your body temperature and you may report it being cold. Yeah, that's the a good in- way to look at it, yeah. But, but the interesting thing is if you've got 
gadgets that can record temperature and can actually record kind of the environmental temperature, not just a laser thermometer that measures surface temperature, but if you've got something that measures the environmental temperature, then if somebody reports a cold spot or they report a drop in temperature, you can instantly say, yes, you're right, I'm recording that, or no, I don't get it on my gadget, so therefore it could be simply psychology. Yes. You see what I mean? And that's yes, a lo- that's a, a lovely piece of kit to have. If you then go one step further and say, well, come on, Kieran, there must be like, you know, a, a piece of kit that is in an excess of what you would actually need, but you find fun to use. It would have to be a thermal imager. That's my that's my favorite piece of kit is a thermal imager, because, again, it's about temperature. Yeah. You know, um, it makes you feel like you're in the movie Predator, which is always fun. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah. But also it allows you the, the allows you the possibility of seeing in the dark as well. If you're doing a, you know, a nighttime investigation, you've got you've got that. But it can instantly give you a, a really good indication of temperature when you start to get into stuff like ovalus and k2s and ghost boxes and things like that again it'd be arrogant of me to say that there's one way of investigating because people like to do these things and use those particular gadgets and that's absolutely fair enough but i always come back to the adage i've been involved in this now for over 30 years over 30 years and we still don't know what ghosts are we genuinely don't know what ghosts are. Even if ghosts are paranormal, we actually don't definitively know what they are. We don't know if they are appearing from the afterlife. We don't know if they are telepathic projections. We really just don't know. So to have gadgets where the principle is it of it is that you're able to communicate with something that we don't know is, is, is a little bit of a jump for me as a scientist. But that's just me. No, but I, you can un- you can you can understand why I'm saying that. But by the same token, the same thing I said about mediums. I've been on public ghost hunts where people are enthralled, sitting around a ghost box and trying to get a response. They're enthralled by the ovalus that shoots out random words, or they're enthralled by trying to get an EVP. All of that stuff is fascinating. And if there's anything that can encourage people to get out there and experiencing it for themselves, then I'm all for that. Like you said, there's there's no evidence of what a ghost is. And I think that's one of the reasons people are so addicted to the, the chase of trying to find the evidence. Um, but, you know, I think unfortunately there is a lot of... It's so hard to be a, a, um, a, a master in the paranormal field. Like, there's not enough evidence to, to be an expert. So there was a friend of mine that said, there's a lot of experts, but not enough evidence. Yeah, and, and, and that is very true to the, the field as a whole. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people work. I think ghost ghost hunting has changed a lot within the last decade. I think it's become a lot more popular amongst people. I think it's become a lot more of a thing society want to do now, more as a as a night out, as a fun night out than a a serious investigation. Yeah, like for example, like the Ouija boards and things like that. I know a lot of that's a lot of the draws to people is to come in and to do an Ouija board, to come and do a spirit box, to come and sit mm-hmm. in the K2. I think it's only the people that really appreciate what a ghost hunt is and the paranormal investigation is, like you said, are the ones that are quite happy to sit there with, with just maybe yourself and an EVP. Because as you said, you, yourself is the best antenna that you could possibly be. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, so the last couple of questions I'm going to ask you, Kieran, is and this is what's probably going to be quite hard for you considering you've been to so many venues. But I was going to say, could you give me a top three venues that you've been to? Oh, wow. Wow. Top three that I've been to. Yes. And I doesn't, and have, I, doesn't have to be for paranormal activity, just your favorite. Three. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And, and it's nice that you throw in that caveat as well, um, because certainly it wouldn't be locations where I have had experiences myself, but they're just amazing locations. And I can give you the three, but they're not in a th- in one, two, and three. They're not in order. Right, they, okay. chop, they chop and change all the time. I would say Hampton Court Palace is in my top three. Um, and Battery Myrus, which is a an underground Second World War German bunker um, on the island of Guernsey, is also in my top three. Um, and West Virginia State Penitentiary. Um, some people call yes. it Moundsville Penitentiary, but yeah, West Virginia State Penitentiary. I think those would be my top three, and I always expand that to my top five, which then also includes Oxford Castle, which is actually a prison more than anything else, yeah. and Hever Castle as well. So that's my top five. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So the last question I'd like to ask you is that of everyone that you've worked with, in your, your decades of doing this who has been the most influential to you and to continue your research and continue doing what you do that's a really interesting question and i'd have to say there are well there are there are those that i haven't worked with um so people like harry price Mm-hmm. It was is a huge influence on my work and the way I've worked, but also some of the early psychical researchers, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Harry Houdini as well. Some of these people feature greatly in terms of influencing me in the work that I do in terms of in terms of influencing my work on haunting experiences. I would say there are probably two key two key people so steve parsons is one who's yep. a paranormal investigator who's um who set up a group parascience so i've known him for over 15 years now and there's somebody who is a paranormal investigator but also approaches things in a very kind of a different way scientific way but also has a lot of knowledge about physics and the environment and he taught me a lot but also my PhD supervisor, Richard Wiseman, because Professor Richard Wiseman is seen by many as a cynic with this sort of stuff. Um, but actually, he will let the evidence speak. He will investigate the evidence. But also, he's somebody with a magic background, um, part of the inner magic circle, but also kind of critical thinking as well an amazing critical thinker so i think both of those people for different reasons have had a huge influence um on my research and the way i work fantastic okay well karen we'll, we'll wrap it up there but thank you so much for joining us there i really appreciate All right. that no um, problem you am i right in saying you've got a website yes i've got Yes, I've got a website. So um, if people go to um, the school of parapsychology.equid.com, 
um, which is for a long website, but it's my <laughs> school of parapsychology where I do a few courses. Um, also, if you look up Buckinghamshire New University and type in my name, you'll find my academic side of things. And also, if you're interested in some of the science and the writings that I've got, do look up researchgate.net. So ResearchGate is basically a public web page for academics to share their scientific research. And if you look up ResearchGate and type in my name, I provide the majority of scientific papers that I published there. and People can just read them for free or download them. Wow, fantastic. OK, I will. For everyone listening, I will leave a link in the description for those. And uh, Kieran, I'll let you go. But once again, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye.